Coming up, a professional dealer and house flipper in Las Vegas teaches us the right way to gamble if you want to win in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast. If you're new here, we have free content galore. We have a Facebook community with over 63,000 members in it. We've got a top 2% in the world podcast that you're listening to right now. We've got social media platforms all over the place with over a quarter million followers on whatever your favorite platform is. We're probably there unless your favorite platform is nobody else's favorite. Sorry. Uh, that being said, we also have a mastermind group called the war room, which is full of service members and vets crushing their goals. And it's awesome and super underpriced, but you know, that's neither here nor there. The value is incredible. The entire goal of this community is to help service members and veterans achieve financial freedom. And we are doing that while also enjoying the ride along the way. So if you're like me, you've probably watched a ton of HGTV shows and thought, wow, this house flipping thing, it looks pretty easy on TV. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case, right? But today's guest is actually one of the most prolific house flippers that I know. And at the time of this recording, he's in the middle of, I can't even do it on my hands. I got to use toes, 12 renovations and house flips in the Las Vegas market. He's been doing this for six years and he's a rock star. Now, his name is Jay Miranda, Vegas Flipper Jay online, and he is a very talented house flipper who doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. And I've seen this. I've got to see some of his properties. It's great. Now, in this episode, we're going to discuss why he pays $14,000 a month for a 6,000 square foot house that he lives in alone. How he went from a pro dealer in casinos to a prolific full-time house flipper and some advice on who you should be getting your knowledge from. Uh, and the hint here is that it depends on your location and it, it's actually really, really good advice that I hadn't necessarily thought of like this before. So without further ado, let's bring in Mr. Jay Miranda. Jay, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? Doing good. How are you? I am doing well. This is uh, it's been a long time coming. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a little bit, and I'm glad we were able to fit it in right now before I rush off to Tampa. For, uh, we've been talking about this for a while now. I know. I know. I know. All right. Hey, let's I'm going to jump in with a. I try to try to throw like an oddball question at people for the first one. And then we kind of go back to the backstory. So as long as I've known you, you have lived in mm -hmm. extremely nice houses in really nice neighborhoods. And at the moment you mm -hmm. live in a 6,000 square foot, you know, I would borderline say mansion. I don't know what the cutoff is for that. Uh, with four master suites, a sick ass layout pool, hot tub, the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. What's the rationale between the really nice houses like is that something that you do to motivate you or like because i know at one point or another and i don't know for sure but i think at one point or another it was like holy crap i've got this house i don't even know if i can justify this house but we're rocking and rolling um but you've mm -hmm. got some sick ass pads and so i guess i'm just kind of curious that's just like as i know you that's the thing is jay always lives in a badass house 
Yeah. What, what started that? Uh, I mean, so for this last one, this last one is because of the podcast, right? I wanted a sweet place. My last one was big. It was 3,500 square feet for just me, but still, you know, five bedrooms, four baths. It, it was a large place. But with this, uh, you know, the, the last uh, place people went in, they liked it. It was big. It was nice, but it wasn't impressive. When I invite people over for this podcast, when I invite people over to this pad, they are impressed every time. They want to come back. They want to invite their friends. They're like, you need to host events here. It really adds to the business. And this is for the IRS person not listening to this. Uh, this is all business. There's no reason. I only need one of the bedrooms. All the rest of it, I'm running off for business. But uh, man, you need a sick pad. I, I need a bigger place because I always have an office in the house. I need I, I just need it to feel like a big place. I just need it. It's it's really important to me. And then I hope to have a 20,000 square foot place. I, I really want the dream setup is maybe like a five to 6,000 square foot house. And then a another to have a compound basically and have it be an office that you could just hoverboard to, you know, skateboard to, and then just have that be all the offices, all the offices, all the everything and set up all my operations out of that. I love it. Yeah, I know uh, Alex and I were kind of busting your balls when we, we literally like you huh. were moving in the week that we came and stayed with you. So no, Alex was bust your balls because yeah. he hadn't decorated yet. I'm like, he's not even unpacked. Um. He he wants every single square inch to be decorated. Like this is an open concept. This is open concept. I'm not going to have 20 bookshelves. Yeah, that's not. It's not the vibe here. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But I, I remember I was kind of bust your chops about, you know, the cost and the square footage for you as mm -hmm. not like a family of 10, but like you. And that was when you brought that up to me, I was like, actually, that makes sense. Like if you're trying to create the yeah. vibe of like the place, the guy, the person with a podcast where you're doing in-person interviews and every time someone mm -hmm. shows up, they're like, oh shit, this is Jay's pad. Like that's the... That's the persona. That's the standard that you're setting for yourself and for others. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And then to go into that a little bit more with, uh, I've, you know, I read a lot of books, as you know, and in a lot of those books, even when it was the book on picking up girls, the game, uh, I think uh, Facebook, I think um, there, there, there's so many book, uh, books to where the people had a pad and everybody lived in one house. It was one massive pad. It was the spot that everyone comes to. So I like having the pad, the spot that everyone comes to and congregates around. And it just attracts, it attracts all the business towards me. And it, it really, it really actually works. Yeah. I think that's a pretty cool move. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking, uh, you know, as I, as I go through this, uh, I, you know, I haven't actually said anything about this on the podcast yet, but. Are you going to say it? Are you going to say it live? Yeah, fuck it. It makes sense for this show, for context, right? So since I'm going through a divorce, um, mm -hmm. I've been thinking. Congratulations. <laughs> well, we won't go into all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been thinking through like, okay, uh, I've got this right now. Like the office down here is in a 2-1 that's 1,600 square feet. Upstairs is a 3,200 square foot, four, two and a half that I Airbnb. And it more than pays for itself, hmm. right? I just landed a $3,100 booking for half of December and it cost me 2,600 bucks for, you know, all in on this place, including internet, like it pays for everything. Um, and I got a little tiny home in the back uh, or wood shop that I'm converting to like a master suite. So this place works fine, but I've been thinking about like, what if I just 
what if I shut the Airbnb down and I opened one of the bedrooms down here and upstairs so that I had four or five bedrooms and I just rented, you know, to young entrepreneurs. And it was like five, six people, four or five people in a 4,800 square foot house that are all kind of chasing the similar goals. Like, I feel like there's, I mean, I've really been thinking about that just to cultivate a better environment around myself. I think there's, you know, guys there's, just go to the gym together and stuff. I think that's cool. There's something to it. Spencer's house hack that he's doing right now has some really smart people uh, in it from people who make like over 200,000 a year flipping land. And it, it's really impressive the people that he surrounded himself around. That's cool. Yeah. Spencer's good people. He posted, he posted your, your house the other day and I, uh, I messaged him. I was like, I know that place, but. All right, yeah. now, we're gonna dig into something. Uh, one more important question, and then we'll get to your backstory. Um, how much coffee does Jay Miranda drink? About three cups a day. <laughs> coffee's for coffee's for closers, my Co friend. <laughs> coffee. I need it. I close. I close a lot of deals. I close a lot of deals. I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> He's got one in front of him. That was unstaged. I love it. And we were in Vegas. That was that was like. Every time we got you in the were blown car, away by it. Every time we got in the car, it was like, oh, but first a coffee stop. I was like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I drink a lot of coffee and I can't keep up. I don't know that I've ever gone nope. through a coffee drive-through and been like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> this is how you close so many deals, son. That's the that's the key. <laughs> All right. So speaking of closing deals, how did you get started in real estate? Give us the backstory. How do we get to to present day? Um. So I always worked and saved, worked and saved. Uh, and I was, you know, back in Connecticut, where, which is where I'm from, you know, worked BS uh, restaurant jobs. I'm 34 years old. So right out of high school is uh, the Great Recession. So all the restaurant jobs didn't really pan out. You work like two, you get two tables, they send you home. Eventually got a job at the casino at Foxwoods uh, at 19 years old. So working as a dealer there, work and save, work and save, work and save. And, uh, uh, once I turned 21, I started applying for jobs in Las Vegas because they make way more money. They keep all their income because there's no state income tax. And at the time, because I always wanted to do real estate, I'm just looking and watching the world burn. And they're like, uh, real estate is crushed in Miami and Phoenix and Vegas. And I'm like, if I move to Miami, Phoenix or Vegas, I could clean up. So end up moving out here in uh, 2011. And I had $27,000 in my bank account. First house I bought was uh, 135,000, 2,400 square feet. It was FHA, put 3.5% down. So, you know, a little bit more than $5,000. And they paid for my closing costs. Second house I bought was in 2012. And uh, it was 74,300 for the condo. And uh, I had to put 20% down. So after closing costs, it was really more like 17,000. And then after that, my lender told me that I blew my load. They said, you can't afford anything else. You need to wait for these things to stabilize, declared on your taxes. Once all this is shown on your taxes, you can buy more properties. I shouldn't have listened to them, right? Mm. Um, but you know, that's my first rental. Then years later to get my real estate license at 15. Now let's go to 2017. And I want to flip, right? I'm dealing with all these residential clients, all these residential customers, and they're the worst, okay? They're so flaky. You're, you're running around. The, the work of a realtor, people only see the closed deals. They don't know that you worked with three other people who didn't close, and you spent 100 hours uh, showing them properties, and it amounted to absolutely nothing. So 
you're spending all these hours amounting to nothing. I'm like, I want to work for myself. I don't want to do customer service anymore. At the end of the day, being a realtor is just customer service, right? I don't want to be in customer service. So uh, I want to start flipping houses. I sell my first house and for like 280 or 274, 274,000. What I got back from title was $140,000. So $140,000 cash, sweet, let's rock and roll. So I bought my first flip with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my first flip was uh, 118000 and I got a commission on it too. Nice. And uh, I only put like maybe ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000 into it. And I sold it off market for uh, it was like one sixty five, and the total profit was twenty four thousand dollars, which was great. I loved it. I was hooked. You know, I mean, twenty four thousand isn't crushing it. It's not a major home run, but it's a base hit that gives you proof of concept, and you know it can work. And from then, you know, you sell one house, then I bought two, and then I sold another house, and I bought another two, and I sold one house, I bought another two. And then I end up selling that second house I bought in 2012. Uh, I sold that one for 160,000. So I bought it for 74. I sold it for 160 because I want more ammo to buy more houses. I was hooked at that point. But that's how I got started because I got lucky in 2011, 12. Even though that's what, even though I bought those in 2011, 12, all I did was work and save, work and save, work and save in all of 2008, 9, and 10. To, to make that happen. I was going to say, I was going to correct you on, on lucky, right? Like you were in the right spot. You, you moved there intentionally to do that. You had to scrounge, mm-hmm. like you don't make $27,000 to put, you know, towards a, a down payment as a restaurant and or uh, dealer without sacrificing a little bit. Like you're, you're not making $3 million a year as a dealer. And so, you know, there was a lot of work leading up to that. You moved to the right location, and then you jumped on, yeah. you know, and I, I think I would, yeah, I definitely wouldn't use the word lucky in there, you know. And if I would have bought a house for, I don't know, 200000 in uh, Connecticut at the time, they only appreciate to like maybe $300,000 right now. To where in Vegas, you had, you had all that appreciation. It, it, it was the worst hit market in all the United States, and that's why I chose it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's smart. That's awesome. All right, so I know we, we talked about how you kind of got into it. Why, why house flipping? Why, why was that the move that you made? Uh, was it just because you did it and then you were like, holy shit, this is awesome. And you got hooked or was there like a more strategic reason for why you picked that niche after being an agent for so long? Um, I've done, uh, with the rentals, the rentals were cool. You know, I, I mean, my, that first rental that I bought, bought for 74,300, my, payment was like uh around maybe 600 total and i was renting it for 900 so it was like profit 300 dollars a month um so like 3000 a year so 3000 or 3600 but there's always a little bit of things you have to fix so it really amounted to about 3000 a year and that's not a lot of money you know mm-hmm. that's not life changing but when i sold it 6 years later and made 80,000 profit off it or or 90,000 profit off it that was all, you know, I mean, that was sweet. That was, you know, six years of having this thing as a rental and I may have made $18,000 in, in rental money and then I sell it and I make 80000 That is, that's the play. And uh, 
I want rentals. Everybody wants that slow, repetitive money. And there's no 401k for this. Like the only way I can stop flipping houses is if I have enough rentals in place. But I knew that the best strategy that there is, my strategy is to be a pro at finding deals for low amounts so that I can always come in at about 80% of what it's worth or 70%. So I'm already built in with equity. And flipping houses is truly the fastest way to make money with it. But it's not repeatable. You're always on a treadmill. You're always in constant stress. It's the most stressful way to make money in this whole entire business. So I mean, I'm now I'm to the point where I can take down one or two a year just as my permanent rentals. But all those things that I buy... You know, when I bought the house for 135, that was full market value. If yeah. I had the skills that I had now, I could have probably got into that house for 80,000 or 90,000. You know, using the skills that I have now, I find houses that should be worth $400,000 and I get them for 280. That is my skill. So when you have that skill set and you exercise that muscle, uh, you know, it, it leads to my rentals being way more profitable and it just helps everything else out. But I mean, flipping houses is a business. It's not, it's barely an investment. You know, it's, it's truly an active business that you have to watch all the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, you got to feed the beast for sure. Uh, it's not yeah. my favorite model, but that's, I think more because I'm not a detail guy, right? Like I, I very mm -hmm. much struggle at the, project management and staying on top of the contractors. And I am a little too quick to just be like, Oh my God. All right. I'll get to that. When I get to that, like, I don't want to deal with them. Um, yeah. You know, but all that being said, uh, it's a great yeah. strategy for building wealth. You're absolutely right. How did, mm -hmm. how'd you learn how to flip houses? Was it, are you just a, like I jumped in, I started doing it and eventually I got better at it. Or did you, uh, like, did, did you go through courses? Were you just reading books? Like, what was what was the way that you learned how to flip houses like this? Uh, how I did it in 2016, or no, sorry, when I was 16 years old, not 2016. When I was 16, my dad bought me the book Flip. So mm -hmm. we used to watch the the flipping houses shows on uh, on TV, and there was a book by Rick Villani, forwarded by Gary Keller, or something like that, called Flip. Um, that came out in either 2004 or five or six. And, uh, and I read that book at, at 16 and it really opened my eyes to a lot of things, broke down concepts of, Hey, there's the person with the money. There's the person who finds the deal. There's the person who manages the construction and you don't have to be all three. You don't have to do all these things. Cause you know, my dad would talk about, my dad always wanted to flip properties, but he just doesn't, he doesn't perform on things. He doesn't, my dad always says what he wants to do, but he never does anything. I love him, but he's just not a doer. Okay. Uh, but he always thought like, Oh, go in, fix everything yourself with your own two hands. I don't do anything with my hands. You know, look, look, look at these things. They're you get coffee. Yeah. I, I don't have a callus on them. <laughs> so you can, you can just be one of those people and you can have other people do the other things. And they really broke down the business of it. And, uh, you know, years later, there was a real estate investment, um, uh, real estate investment group out here in Las Vegas called the Outback. And I started attending that and I could network with other flippers. I could network with other wholesalers, other flippers and ask them what they're doing, ask them about the percentages that they're getting things at. And it was such a great community. You know, everybody was really helpful towards each other. Everybody kind of broke down their numbers and, uh, 
it really made it so that before I bought my first flip, I knew everything that was going on just between those books and, uh, and the investment network. But I would say that books are generalized knowledge. Books will tell you the, the default things like buy things at 70% of ARV minus repairs or 80% of ARV minus repairs. But when you're around the, your own people in your own market, that's when you really get the specifics. Because even if I went to your market, your market is completely different than my market. Absolutely. If I flipped your houses like I flipped Vegas houses, I'd, I'd probably be over flipping or maybe yeah, under or sure. not doing this thing. or Yeah, it's a yeah. learning curve no matter where you go. It's, it's interesting. I had a, a partner. Uh-oh, we got a little glitch. Oh, can you hear me now? I got you. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. No worries. Editor will clean it up. It's all good. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I had a partner. Um, we did some wholesaling together and a little bit of flipping, nothing crazy. And his main market is Orange County, California. And when we, we bought a portfolio at one point, it was like four homes for like 200K, right? You know, you can anticipate how quality they are. It was 200K for, it was actually five homes, you know, four homes, five units, a duplex and three singles. And uh, they were, you know, (laughs) we sold one right away. It had been broken into and whatever, but like we still got, the duplex and one of the singles. Um, but when we went in and started doing renovations, you know, he was like every, every house he looked at was a full gut. He's like, dude, we've got to do everything it has to be modern. Everything's got to be brought up to. And I was like, dude, wrong market, man. Like in this market for these houses in these neighborhoods, like you slap some paint on it and you throw some stuff in the kitchen that makes it function. And like, ta-da, like I'm like, mm-hmm. we're in and out for like 20 grand or less. And he's like full gut 80 grand, you know? And, and it's just, it's just the difference in market. If I went to San Diego or L LV, uh, Las Vegas and just slapped some lipstick on the walls and, didn't, you know, left the old school flooring and maybe, you know, paint the walls, the trim and threw some new appliances in it. I'm going to get laughed at when I put it on the MLS because most of the stuff going up in Vegas is, you know, last 20 years been built 20, 30 years. I mean, they're much like we're dealing with 1900 eras houses and you got like 1905, not like 1990. And, you know, yeah. Vegas is a much, much, much newer market as a whole. And, and because of, and I think the other thing is like with, with higher expense, like more expensive markets, the money mm-hmm. is there to justify renovating it and making it really nice. The flips that I used to do pre-COVID were way different than the flips I do post-COVID. Interesting. Pre-COVID, you have ARVs of 280000 250000 We're putting in the cheapest quartz, the cheapest tile. We're putting in laminate, not even LVP. And since COVID, we've had so many Californians move here, all cash. They want Calcutta everything. They want accent walls. They want things a certain way. And we've had so much money poured into the state that, I mean, my rehabs cost way more money now. My rehabs are way higher quality, but because now my now I'm selling them for 450,000 versus 280,000. So because of that price uh, increase, you know, the, the game that I play is different now too. And each side of town that I play the game on is a little bit different. On east side, I don't renovate houses so nice. On west side, I, I renovate houses to the fullest. And then- That's I've, a good point. I've hung out with people from like who flip in Hawaii and uh, they call all my flips trash. They think I'm, I'm the worst at it. Right. But when you're selling things for 1.3 million or 1.8 million, 
yeah, your house tends to look a little bit better, doesn't it? Like all their houses looked HGTV ready. Yeah, I'm not going to spend as much as on my flips for 450000 that you are for $1.3 million. I'm sorry we don't look the same. Yep. And to be fair, most of the Hawaii houses are like, they might look nice, but man, that construction, they do like single wall construction instead of double wall. And like, you can like have conversations through the bedroom walls. <laughs> it's Ooh. Hawaii is a whole different beast for uh, like zoning and everything. It's uh I loved living there, but I mean, I remember I was getting outbid on like seven hundred fifty, eight hundred thousand dollars houses that would be worth like one point three to one point five now because they were in Kailua. Anyone familiar with Kailua? And uh, we'd look at like a three one or a three two, mm-hmm. it'd be like eight hundred thousand dollars, and it'd be like sixteen hundred square feet, and like just felt like this walking through the house, you know, just like old and tight and no nothing modern about it, not updated at all, and uh, it's yeah. just a whole different ballgame. And you probably have sticker shop coming from your markets. I got outbid oh my on God, everything. What a, yeah. Yeah. I tried to you buy just can't justify it. five or six of them. And we got outbid cash for every single one of them. I'm like, well, can't compete here. All right. We'll live on base. So I think that's, that's a really good point talking about. I don't think people talk about that enough. Like house flipping in theory is easy. You buy a junky house, you put some money into it as long as the total of the purchase and the money you put in equals less than what you sell it for. Ta-da! You make some profit. You decide if that's enough profit to justify the deal. It is mm-hmm. the most complicated thing as far as invest. Like buying a rental property is cake. You buy it, you hold on to it forever, and eventually it'll make you money as long as you bought in the right market. With yeah, flips, like the countertop matters an accent wall in one neighborhood or not in another neighborhood. Like you can shoot yourself in a, in the foot 75 times on a house and not even realize that you're doing it. It's, it's very interesting. You, could you say that last part again? It, uh, it glitched for some reason <laughs> So you can shoot yourself in the foot 75 times on a single project and not realize it till the end, mm-hmm. because you're like, you might overdo something in one neighborhood that would be underdoing it in the other neighborhood. And you just don't, yeah. you're not like, you know, finger on the pulse. And that is, that's my specialty. So that is, that works with my personality type a hundred percent. So, I mean, I'm not going to bust your balls with the Myers-Briggs ENTP thing. Thank I you. just want to, I just want to dig that in there. But uh, with, I think a lot of people always think of things as zero or a hundred but flipping is truly a scale of this neighborhood will do the renovation at this much. This neighborhood will be perfectly this much. And it's just, you're just going a little bit more than your neighbors. That's it. You want to take a look at all the neighbors in that specific area and you just want to be a little bit better than them. So if you're in nice areas, you're making it really nice. But if you're in not so great areas, maybe new paint and flooring will do it, you know, and you're still going to get higher value than them. But stick to that. And, and that, that's the way that my mind works. My mind can, can work with those calculations. That, that's the way that my mind really likes to, uh, to analyze things and process things. I like that. Yeah. And, and everybody's different as far as their strengths and weaknesses, right? Flipping is not a game for everybody, but it's a game mm-hmm. that uh, if you're good at it, you can, you can crush it, especially doing what you're doing right now, which involves some of them being more of the burr strategy where you know, you're holding on to them as rentals. Actually, I'm curious, uh, what are your more recent rentals? You want to walk us through like, like what percentage of, of appraised value you hold those things at? And I mean, I'd imagine you're cooking in a decent amount of equity or you 
you probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if you pull a lot of the equity but uh but assuming like mm-hmm. let's say you're you're all in cost to what it appraises at like are you what kind of percentages are you getting for what you're holding on to um the the last one that was supposed to be a rental uh was the subject to in Pahrump, but you know everybody talks about subject to but the people who locked this up because they weren't as familiar with it, they didn't get the login and uh, and password from the old owner um, to their Flagstar Bank or whatever it was. So we couldn't set up on AutoPay. And, you know, I probably should have just got a, a server to, to do it. But if you can't set up AutoPay, I'm just going to end up being late eventually. Mm-hmm. If it's not this month, it'll be next month or next year or two years from now. So you end up selling that one. But the last one that I bought that I've been holding on to was a subject to where it was like a 2.75 interest rate uh, on a townhome here in, here in Las Vegas. I got it. The total entry was like 180000 but that's not where the money was. The money was that it was a 2.75% interest rate. And uh, uh, so 275 180 The ARV was maybe about two fifty. And we only put about like maybe twenty thousand into it, so we have about fifty thousand worth of equity that we had to work with, but it kills it as a rental. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my two other ones. So I, I like taking down the subject twos, um, but if you can't get their their password, and, and and you can get, I was like, you could just change your password. I, I don't want your password. Just change it to some default one. Give it to me so I could set up the auto pay. But you need to be able to talk to the to the bank with, uh, you know, and set that up with your accounts. Um, but the last two rentals that I've had before that are just flips that they didn't sell for the profit that I wanted, but I knew they still crushed as a rental. So I just rented it out. You know, one's in Pahrump. I cash flow probably six hundred a month off it, and then the other one is a a townhome in like the worst awful neighborhood in Las Vegas, and. <laughs> I wanted to flip it, but the same people have been living there since like for the past eight years. So I said, uh, Hey, I'm going to raise your rent. You know, they're paying $400 a month rent. I raised the one to, to 700, I raised the other to 900. And you know, I, I cash flow a little bit, but that one, I'm not crushing it on. I might raise the rents a little bit more, but you know, I, I mainly try to have my rental strategy be subject to. Subject to properties. Yeah, I, li- I like that. Uh, one of my buddies said that uh, we were talking about this just last night. And he said what he does is he gets a, a special power of attorney for the bank account so that he can change everything over and have total control of just that one bank account. Smart. Yeah. In, in hindsight, I think uh, I could have probably gotten a servicer. And as long as they have the account number, I could do the servicer. But some of these banks have weird things to where... You try to make the payment with one of your business checking accounts, and they won't let you make the payment through a business checking account. It has to be through a personal checking account. Yeah. So now I'm commingling funds. My tax person's going to hate me. <laughs> it's owned by my corporation. I'm paying for it in my personal name. It's uh, I don't know. I I don't want to commingle that much. It's just going to lead to something bad. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, shifting gears a little bit. Odd question for mm-hmm. you. Um, yes. What is something you refuse to spend money on? Uh, man, 
there's some simple services out there. Like I live in Vegas, this whole bottle service thing and, and tables and, uh, women of the evening for sure. But, uh, there's a lot of things in Vegas that people spend a lot of money on like tables and stuff like that. That's a total waste. If I spend money on something, I want it to be an asset that I keep forever. So if I'm going to spend money on it, but I own it now, I keep it. If it's a house, if it's a car, if it's a, a piece of camera equipment, if it's another laptop and I keep it, it's another permanent thing that I own. I don't mind spending money on it, but I don't want to spend money on anything that goes away in the next hour. Hmm. So bottle service, services like that, you know, I, I just don't spend money on it. Makes sense. That's, that's smart. Uh, actually curious, since you mentioned Vegas, um, I, I don't think I ever asked you this. Like, if, okay, so I'm I'm Dave. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to gamble from uh, the perspective mm-hmm. of a, I guess former, but probably still could be, uh, professional dealer. What? Mm-hmm. And you worked at you worked at some of the higher, like some of the some of the pretty good casinos, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I was at the Win for the last four years, which yeah. is arguably the best casino out there. There you go. So, curious, like, what advice would you give to somebody going to Vegas with the intent of having fun playing, playing some, uh, playing some cards. And, and actually what was your, uh, what was your game? Uh, craps. I was a craps dealer. So, uh, I'd say craps is really, really fun. There's more people around. If you're going to play craps, go with like a crew, a big group, and you don't have to get crazy with the bets. You know, everybody bets and they win together when there's big, big rolls and all that. You, you really get a lot of energy when things are losing. Everybody's unhappy, <laughs> but you can really get a lot of the energy there. And if you're just trying to draw out your money and, uh, and kind of kill time, you know, maybe try a out poker or, or what, whatever you have fun with, if it's roulette or whatever, but you're not going to win at any of it. So if there's, if there's a strategy to optimize it, every strategy that I could teach you is to win less, but the casino is still going to have their edge. Mm-hmm. So if you want to gamble, play stocks, but, or flip houses, but don't, uh, you know, you're you're not going to have a winning advantage no matter no matter what you do. You could cut the casino edge from five percent to one percent. Yeah, but that's the best you can do. I I love that advice. Like the if you're going to gamble, go flip a house. You know, I, I mean that's a asymmetric bet, uh, much more so yeah. than you know um, anybody who's you know at the casino. Right at the casino, you show up with a thousand dollars, you can lose a thousand dollars. With a flip, I don't care how mm-hmm. much you mess it up. You might lose your shirt. You might lose a ton. You might lose whatever. But if you bought a $200,000 house on debt, like you're not going to lose $200,000. You can you can always sell it for something. Even if it's yeah. a massive loss, it's not going to be 100%. There's, there's a gambling addiction in my family, which might be my why I love flipping houses so much. But they play these games. The, the, the draw of gambling is you knew something that nobody else knew. You knew that this horse was going to win. You knew that red was going to hit. You want to feel smart when you gamble, right? Because when your bet comes up, you're like, I knew it was going to hit. I knew it. So if you truly want to outsmart, there's no way to outsmart the casino. So if you want to outsmart, do your research. And whether it's buying a stock or buying a property, you're going to get the same feeling. I get the same feeling that a gambler does when I win on all my flips, but I win on all my flips. I truly did outsmart everybody else. I found the deal that nobody else could get. So it tickles all the, all the urges of a degenerate gambler with still being favored to win. 
Because if you're not going to be favored to win, then you're an idiot. You're, you're not going to outsmart anybody. They're outsmarting you. Yeah, I love that. That's a good, good series of questions. I, I think that's some, uh, some good information. Actually, it makes me kind of curious. Um, biggest lessons you've learned or, or mistakes you've made flipping houses? Um, I think when I was uh, earlier on, I, I mean, you guys have heard of Ryan Pineda, right? Yeah. When I was uh, starting off, I heard that he was putting no money down and that he was getting 12% interest rates with three points up front. And I was like, he's such an idiot. What an idiot. That's so much money. I mean, you buy a $300,000 house, that's 9000 up front, and then the you're paying 3000 a month on your interest payment. What an idiot. And then what I realized is, is he spent all of his focus on just getting a better deal. So rather than getting a house that I might buy for 230000 and flipping it for three hundred. He was getting that house and, and we'd put it, be putting in the same amount, be putting in maybe like $30,000 and, and selling it for 300 or 20,000 back in those days. He would just buy for 200,000 or 190,000 or 180,000. He put all of his focus rather than trying to get a little bit better interest rate, a little bit better, uh, rehab costs. Hey, if I pay my contractors 2000 more, if I get the house for 10,000 less, I could put all my focus in the right things. And, you know, some people have these limiting beliefs of how do you find these deals? These deals aren't out there. They are. You just ask for less and people just say yes. I mean, I, I had all these limiting beliefs of like, there's no way I could get houses for that low, but you can. You just ask and they say no at first and then they come back around. And I, I don't know. Uh, I think now they've done over 100 flips. It all seems so easy. And I could just ask people for less and, a number that you think might be disrespectful, you know, let's say it's, it's a house that could sell for 500,000. I asked for 300,000 or, or for 250,000. And I know I'm only going to put 30,000 into it. They might negotiate, but they might not, you know, they might just say okay to it. And I don't know, it, it all just seems so easy to me now, but, uh, my focus was, my focus was always trying to optimize my, my costs. I spent so much time on optimizing my costs when I should have just tried to get more deals. Mm. I like that. And cheaper deals. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of problems that can't be solved by buying right. Yeah. Yeah. That's if awesome. you uh, spend 5000 more in the rehab, get it for 20000 less. You're, you're still happy. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's next? Mm. I'm glad you asked. I wrote the outline for my book. We yes. talked a lot about you writing your book. And then I, uh, you know, the, the way to make the most amount of money, because nobody makes money off a book. You know that. <laughs> and how all these flippers are making money is they're s selling their courses for 30000 or a 1000 or even just 5000 which is cheap these days. And I listened to an Alex Ramosi uh, thing to where he's like, he focused so much on the end user. And you know what? I, I'm not going to do a cash grab. I'm not going to do a cash grab. I'm not going to focus on making money. I'm going to make the best book on flipping houses that's ever been written. Every other book on flipping houses is like how to flip your first house. But no book out there really shows you how to make a real business of, okay, you flipped one house, but what about five houses? What about 10 houses at the same time? I got 12 houses being flipped at the same time right now. There's 12 active flips going on. 
And how do you manage it? How, how do you look at things different? Because you look at things different when you're doing one at a time versus when you're doing 10 at a time. And I want to write the best book that's ever been written on flipping houses and have my first draft done by the end of this month. And after the first draft, I might edit, edit it myself once and then I'll send it to a professional to correct some of my editing mistakes and and then maybe edit it five more times. And But Alex Tramosi really said, how many hundreds of hours did you spend on it? And when he yeah. said that, I'm like, Jay, you are fucking lazy. You're not spending hundreds of hours on things. You're spending a few hours on things. I'm going to spend hundreds of hours on it. Hundreds of hours to write the book. And that's where excellence comes from. It comes from spending. Everyone's so obsessed with the four-hour work week. You know what? Everyone's lazy. Okay? The four-hour work week doesn't exist. It could. But you're not going to have greatness from it. I, I got to spend hundreds of hours on the book to make it great. How yeah, many hours do you think I, I like you spent writing it? Oh, man. Uh, I, it took me 90 days of 1,000 words a day. So, I mean, that right there is easily 30 minutes, but probably an hour most days, depending on how focused I am and how much research I'm doing. So let's call it 45. Um, so that's, you know, I don't know, 60 hours right there, probably, probably like 70, 65, something like that. Uh, editing. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, definitely over a hundred hours on the book, probably, mm. probably closer to two. Uh, I would say, um, and just not that I think we've already discussed this, but just because I, we talked about books and I'm going to bring it up for more of the listeners than you. Um, but I would definitely recommend like two different editors. You want, you want two different types of editing. You want a developmental editor. And I would do that. I would have a developmental editor look at it uh, before the normal editor for sure, but maybe even before you, you do your first editing cut. And so, and then, and then the, I forget the official name, but the actual like proofreader editor. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason for that is a developmental editor will go through your book and go, Hey, you know, this chapter right here might actually flow better if it was in front of that chapter or, uh, hey, there are some paragraphs here, but they're mm. a little redundant for this piece. So why don't we either combine, pull apart, set up a third chapter, like whatever. Um, like when I did it, they moved two or three of my chapters around and there was like an entire chapter that we nixed because it was redundant with something else. And so I, they just like we combined them. Um, hmm. And so that person like really helps you structure everything in like the best possible way. And I would say do that before you push it to a proofreader. Um, the developmental editing process is actually much less painful and, and fairly cheap. Uh, but having that person look at it to make it flow is, is solid. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be doing that and, for sure. And then just be ready and, for more red than you've ever seen in your life when it comes back. It'll be depressing. Oh, I'm, I'm a D student. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of red. Yeah. I'm used to seeing it. Yeah, uh, you could be a A++ student and they would just rip it to shreds anyway because that's what they do. <laughs> Yeah. And then uh, there's that. And then uh, so that is the next big thing on my mind. And then with flipping, it's, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm not buying more houses. I'm not buying less houses, just buying about maybe a little bit more than two flips a month. I should be hitting about 30 this year and uh, uh, waiting for interest rates to drop, you know, and if I feel if I really feel it, that things are selling a lot faster or that things are getting better then I might ramp it up to 40 or 50. But right now, the market's not that great. 
my my flips aren't you know it's taking about a good month month and a half to sell them uh so until i'm getting multiple offers within the first week i'll just be doing what i'm doing and just waiting until uh things get until i feel it then i'll go all in i like it that's smart all right we're yeah. gonna we're going to roll into the debrief, and for those listening uh, who haven't heard this yet, this is only the second podcast I've ever done this on, and they were both today. Uh, nice. So this is going to be a new segment, five questions, and the first question is going to be a question from within our Facebook group of 60,000-plus people, and uh, this person is Any Mouse Anonymous, uh, so I'm not going to oust them, <laughs> even though as the owner of the group, I get to see who everybody is when they post anonymously, so I could. The power. Uh, but I'm curious. So here's the question. The question is flip or not flip, right? Is this a deal? And yeah, we give you basically as much information as they gave in the question. And so it's in Pembroke, Florida, Fort Lauderdale area, like East side of uh, Florida. Nice area. Um, it appears to be a condo. It's in a, like a car apartment building. I, when I looked at it, they didn't say, but when I looked it up online, it, it looks like an apartment building. I'm guessing it's a condo. Uh, it's near a mm -hmm. lake in a neighborhood that also has a golf course within by looking probably like a half mile of it. And so purchase price is 200. Their estimated rehab is 30 to 50. So I would probably say probably 50 because it's first flip. Um, ARV 325. Yeah, it's a huge range. Oh. I'm guessing it's probably like probably close to that 50, if not 60. Okay. Uh, they, I feel like they could do it for, for the 30. Um, You know, I, I would say flip. I would say flip it. Um, the reason why I'd say flip it, it makes a, it's a little bit better if you're a realtor. So find a realtor to list it for 1% because mm. 1% versus 3%, that'll save you $6,000 right there. Um, I'm assuming that that place isn't going to be the biggest place. It's not like it's 3,000 square foot. Um, I'm assuming that that condo, um, I'm assuming that there's, like there's nothing you're going to do to the exterior. There's nothing major that's going to, it's a condo. Condos are the easiest flips in the whole entire world because you don't run into the other mistakes. There's nothing on the exterior mm -hmm. whatsoever. And generally the systems within it are pretty good. The only things that make condos more expensive is if, uh, is like in high rise condos in Vegas, you have to get every contractor vetted and they have to file a thing to be able to get access to go through, if it's too big or too high end of a condo, it's really hard for the contractors to even get into the building or do their work. But um, with that small of a house, uh, I'd say it could probably be done for thirty thousand. It's not luxury. Your ARV is only three twenty five, so don't overflip it. Don't overflip it. Make it cute. Spend the least amount of money to make it look cute. Okay, it doesn't have to be on HGTV. You could do that for thirty thousand. I could guarantee this isn't over 1,500 square feet. So do the flip and focus on your costs. And when people tell you too much, find someone else. And the same contractor doesn't have to do everything. If one of the contractors said this number for flooring, but they said to tile your bathrooms was this much, but the other guy was cheaper on the bathrooms and more expensive on the flooring, just have the one contractor do the flooring and the other contractor do the showers. You can get it for cheaper. Stick to the 30. I like it. I like that. Good answer. All right. Number two. And this is, I guess, a two-parter, but uh, what's the mm -hmm. dumbest thing you've ever purchased 
and then conversely the smartest your favorite product uh dumbest thing is this house obviously (laughs) (laughs) i don't want all that Fourteen thousand a month jesus (laughs) it's it's huge this makes no sense it's it's a monstrosity uh no logical sense maybe from a manifestation sense it does it's it's the first YOLO play I've ever done. You just manifest it. You just buy the the, the huge mansion and you you manifest it. Uh, even though that manifesting crap is working, but I already manifested it from everything I did before. Yep. Um, the smartest thing that I ever purchased was my first property. Um, or I mean, I guess you could say a book, but the smartest thing was the first property, and it was just the perfect timing and put all the effort into getting it. I moved across the country just to buy it. And uh, it worked out exactly how I expected it to. Beautiful. All right. Number three is name a book, podcast, or resource that either made you a better leader or investor. Ooh, leader or investor. I have to give it to Flip in 2016 because they really broke down some of the of how to actually operate the business and how to delegate some of the tasks and to stick to the thing that you're good at. So, I mean, that's, there's that, uh, more recently would be traction. Um, a phenomenal book. Interestingly enough, that was the answer of the guest. The only other person who's been asked that question on this show, uh, two hours ago. So, Oh my God. Yeah. EOS is, uh, it's, it's good for sure. Um, all right. So number four, Someone listening to the show is interested in learning how to flip houses, how to make some money doing that on the side or, or full time, right? Uh, instead of mm-hmm. consuming another podcast and just doing the old, like, listen to a book, listen to a podcast, listen to a book, listen to a podcast, while valuable, what would be the next actual, like, action step that you think they should do? Sweet. So all the books are generalized information. Like I said before, you can't write a perfect book on flipping houses for everybody because everybody's different. So now you want to focus on getting a local real estate investment group. Okay. Whether you can find one on bigger pockets, whether you could ask realtors about it, you could call up realtors, ask if they know anyone, you might have to call a few realtors because realtors don't know about investments. It'll take a long time to find a realtor who knows about flipping and they're going to tell you they know about flipping. None of them know about flipping. So whether you're going to go through, yeah, they watch HGTV, they have no idea. The, the realtors that send me deals are so clueless. Okay. Like it's, they couldn't be more off on what a deal is. So that's the deals that they're sending me. If they send it to you and you go off of what they say, you're going to go broke. If I bought every deal that realtor sent me, I'd be absolutely broke right now, begging money on the streets. Um, but find a, try to find people who are doing it, pick their brain, take them to lunch, take them to dinner. Nobody takes, Nobody takes me to dinner and I have a, a wealth of information. I mean, they offer, but okay, I guess maybe they do. But, uh, but take them out and try to crowdsource the information. So when, when analyzing information that people tell you, you believability weight them. So if your mom tells you how to flip houses, but your mom's never flipped a house, her believability weighting is zero. She loves you, but she's not believable. If there's a person if there's me who's telling you how to flip houses, I flip between 20 and 30 a year. My believability weighting 
would be about an eight or a nine because it's not in your market. Someone who flips as many houses as me that's in your market would be a 10, a perfect 10. And if it's a realtor telling you how to do it in their market, then maybe that might be a believability weighting of a a four or a five because they're still professional in your market. But find someone who's really doing it. Find someone who's making money and try to ask them, be nice, be friendly, win them over with kindness, and they'll, they'll be able to help you out. And maybe ask a few people to to take the average of what they say. Yeah. I like that you even included that uh, the believability while you are an expert house flipper, one of the most prolific that I know uh, Mm -hmm. would be thrown off by the fact that it's not your market and there's still some value to the market expertise. I think that's a really valuable point that you added there. Yeah. If I'm so cocky because I'm successful in my market, I've talked to people who are equally as cocky in Hawaii who are really successful, make a ton of of money out there. They make $250,000 every flip that they do. And they're giving me advice in Vegas where your advice doesn't fit to Vegas, my friend. And my my advice doesn't fit to you in your market. Mm -hmm. I could be so set in my ways. I could be so confident in how I do things, but my market is not your market. So, yeah, I mean, stick to stick to your market. It's different. I like it. All right, Jay, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get a hold of you? Okay, so Vegas Flipper Jay on Instagram. Uh, The podcast is being switched over from Paper Trails podcast to I'm either going to call it Jay Miranda or Jay Miranda show. I don't know, but right now it's called Paper Trails, uh, Paper Trails Podcast, but it will end up being called Paper Trails. Uh, no, it'll end up being called Jay Miranda uh, on YouTube. So I'll figure out how to, uh, I'll figure out which one I want to call it, but that'll be changed within a day. And yeah, reach out. I like it. Is there anything we missed? Uh, anything we missed? Uh, that is, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, well, in that case, I'll think I of look, it after, but... <laughs> there we go. Well, in that case, I look forward to hanging out uh, here in a couple months when I'm, I'm going to be out there in November, and I'll make sure I hit you up. Yes, come back in Vegas. Looking forward well, to it. I will. Yes, sir. Thank you very All much right. for being a guest. This is a good show. Cool. Thanks, David. Bye.